Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 125, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, is it time to end time test? We'll discuss and how a once violent video game transformed into a living museum for students. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, we're talking about silent, sustained reading, how it can help your students learn to love books. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by my podcast wife, Christina Pollard. I am here and present. Christina. Do you smell that smell? It's the smell of Thanksgiving, right? I mean, we're like getting close. I am so excited. You, five day break. That's what I was about to ask. You get a full five days, Yes. Right? Is that pretty much standard across the country, you think? Um, No, it's not. I, because I think, when I was in the classroom, it was always Wednesday through Friday only. Right. And we would be some of the only teachers at work. Just, you know, jealous of our friends. But uh, right. around here, though, I think everyone is all out around, you know, together. Do you have big plans? Do you guys go anywhere? Let me tell you, we have the Pollard Thanksgiving. Generally, um, every year we travel to Atlanta and a lot of the Pollard cousins, we get together, bring our families, and we just have a great time. So this is your husband's side over in Atlanta. Yes. And so like, what do you, how do you like a turkey? Because- Oh, we have multiple turkeys. Yeah, what do you what do you do? Um, we have a Cajun turkey. We have Southwest turkey, lemon pepper turkey. Wow. Um, yeah, that, it's kind of a competition among the men. We just sit back and watch them. You know, like look at them. Um, and they're competing on their flavors, and they smoke them, and they deep yeah, fry them, and they good. bake them. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, for me, uh, the old like roasted turkey, like is which is what we traditionally traditional. Would do, I, I didn't like it that much. I found it kind of would. You know, they needed to a, inject it a little bit. It would yeah, be dry. No right. one ever really thought about that. But the whole, if you haven't deep fried a turkey, if you're Let listening to this, tell you. like, just try it. You got to. Because it just seals everything in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Caramelizes on the outside. Yeah, no, it is But a good. smoked turkey that's injected... Also good. Talk about flavor right. and juiciness. It will never dry out. You just got to be careful with your smoked turkey because it's got to be... You don't want it too big because you don't want to just have... Oh, it's better to do small small yeah. ones so that you can have multiple flavors. Right. And also just because you're basically having poultry sit out for hours and hours yes. and hours. You got to be yes. careful on, on how you do that. But uh, yes, I can smell it. I'm excited. We're, we're going to go on a road trip... Um, I'll tell you more about it on another show. We're kinda, awesome. We're kind of getting off track here. So uh, tell us, what's going on in the teacher's lounge today? You know, we've had a lot of conversation about assessments and how they impact students. Right now, there's big discussion on whether timed tests should continue. Yeah, this is this is interesting because um, I, I was just telling you before the show started, we had a guest who I really respect, Joe Baller. She's a, yes. a Stanford uh, professor. Um, specializes in math education. Brilliant. And she says that there's these great mathematicians who were slow at math. Like they just, but they were brilliant. So it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, why are we timing everything? And this is the way it's been as long as I can remember. You know, we're just always kind of forced to to finish things in a certain amount of time. Is that wrong? Well, it's, it's let me tell you. First, you have to recognize who the developers of the assessments are. 
Mm-hmm. It's not ever any educators. This is true. Is <laughs> you know decisions that are made about testing and all of those things. A lot of times are made um, outside of the K twelve realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the decision to time a test and not time a test that goes way, way, way above me. But I will tell you, looking back on my career, um, for many years the tests were not timed. Okay. And so there were some children who took full advantage of that and they would test all day long. I mean, till three, four, five o'clock in the evening. And why were they doing that? Because they just didn't want to go. um, Some of those children, no, sometimes it's it's obsessive compulsive. They wanted to do their best. They took their time. They triple checked. I mean, I know many students who took very many hours to finish their assessment, but they scored extremely high. Okay. Um, So it's just all about how they process information and they didn't want to rush. They knew that taking their time, they could, you know, not leave any steps out and they wanted to do well. And oftentimes when a child is uninterested or doesn't want to perform, they're going to rush through the test. They're not going to take all day. They're going to rush. And when you're state testing specifically, you shut down the instructional day. So it's not about not wanting to go to the next class right? because no one moves. When we're testing, you stay in testing format. Um, But some years just recently here, let's just say five, six years, um, we've gone back to timing the assessments. Um, There's a good and a bad about that. Okay. Let's talk about low performing. Let's talk about students with disabilities, Mm -hmm. students with language barriers. The impact is huge. They need the extended time um, because it takes them a little longer to process the information. And so with the test being timed, even if they're given extended time, sometimes it's not enough. But what we are finding, there are some parents out there who are going all about it the wrong way to get extended time for their okay, children. Okay, so I was just about to ask this because I didn't want to be, I'm, I'm often the cynic, and I was about to ask, like, do you have parents gaming the system where they go to the local pediatrician and basically strong arm their way into getting a doctor's excuse to get more time? Let me just put it this way. You've seen in the news, national news recently about the celebrities who didn't mind paying for assessments to be given, taken for their children, get them admissions into colleges. And so people with money do very interesting things. Right. And what was it? I saw a picture of, um, which is the lady that's already in jail. It's not Aunt Becky. It's the other one. Felicity. Felicity Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw she's already like doing her time. Well, what, the 14 days? I think that's it. Right, right. (laughs) Well, that'll be done in five minutes. Right, no doubt. But should have had more than that. Yeah, she's not, you know, Martha Stewart really did her time when she had to go. Exactly. That was the real thing. So my point with it is, while we need that extended time for students who truly have learning struggles, I think there's some type of, you know, advantage being taken by those parents who get diagnoses and, and, you know, rulings from outside of the school psychometrist in order to get their children extra support. And I mean, I understand them fighting for their kids, but what about the kids who truly need it? And so now we're looking at this in a global perspective. And if we take it away, um, then you're just going to have, you know, go back to having testing lasting all day long. Is it good or is it bad? It's to me, focus on what's best for kids. I mean, are you ready to walk into your school tomorrow and say, no more time tests? Like, are we there? Like, I mean, is it or is that just not realistic? I mean, there's a reason we do put caps on it, right? Well, I don't know the reason why we switched from having untimed tests to going back to time tests in our area. Um, I'll be honest with you. If the test was untimed, some children who just flat out get nervous and go blank and get sick to their stomach would get more time to remain calm and to take, do their absolute best on the assessment. Because sometimes it's not about mastering a skill or ability level. It's literally about anxiety and stress. I mean, let's put state assessments aside. I remember being in school and having a math quiz with 50, 
50 questions and not finishing or rushing to finish. Well, if you think about your fluency checks, those are timed Mm -hmm. um, because it's about making sure you can master it in a certain amount of time. Um, Sometimes reading tests are are timed because you want to know how many words can you um, comprehend within a minute. But generally, as you get older, I just I do think that we need to have some conversation about having time constraints. I mean, because the real question and this was in the article, um, you know, with the timing, why? Do we believe speed reflects intelligence? It is kind of silly. It's as silly as we think glasses make people smarter. Uh, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, like it just doesn't make sense. Like there's just these weird things that we think fast is, is better. And I mean, and it starts when we're young. It starts it when when you're in preschool and that someone asks a question, whoever can answer it the quickest is the smartest. And we're always trying to slow them down because we want you to process and think first. Right. I mean, look at Jeopardy. It is all based on speed and what you know and how quickly you can recall it. But I'm sure some of the greatest thinkers may have not been that fast. No, because really the great thinkers were analytical and they unpeeled the onion and they tried and tried and they took risk and it was okay to be wrong. They just kept going. So are you willing to have your next staff meeting, superintendent and whoever else is the overlords of your, your district and say, why are we timing these things and kind of push back? I mean, we're oh, I can push back all I want, but the yeah. decision goes higher than a superintendent or the, the school district. The, the timing goes all the way to the state. Right. So I do serve on the state principals advisory committee hmm. and um, we have a meeting this week. Maybe something to talk well, about. Maybe, right? maybe I might can, need to bring that up. You can say you heard it on a podcast. Do you allow your, kids to play a lot of video games do they even like to play a lot of video games um they do they love playing games um both boys um sometimes would play against my husband but there's just a procedure i've had in my house since um wow way way back um when they played with the handheld nintendos Mm -hmm. monday through thursday there are no video games in the house and on sunday we're done by six gotcha kind of let the brain relax a little yes, bit. Yes, okay, so that so we can focus. Are you seeing any of your teachers bringing video games into the classroom for learning purposes? Um, No, not really, to be honest. I think they use a lot of web-based games, mm-hmm. um, but not bringing anything with them, no. I saw, uh, so you don't know this about me, I'm a, I'm a gamer, like, and, and I'm not like I used to be, but there was a time, probably mainly in my 20s, where I, like, I played a pretty heavy amount of games. That yeah. was just kind of my thing. Um, as I've gotten older and, you know, you have more pressure to earn. I liked the Wii back when it was out. I always wanted to play the fine. Michael Jackson dance game, and we had a family competition of playing golf always. I, bet you that I was had fun. to win. Right, no doubt. Yes. Because of your golfing background. Yes. My uh, my son he and I, we used to bond a lot like playing video games. Uh, I have two kids, of course, or two boys, but um, we used to bond a lot playing video games. And so then they've kind of, you know, gotten to the games. And my oldest, he used to play a game called Assassin's Creed. Are you familiar I've with I've heard this? of it, yes. Okay, so it's been a popular game. Um, and it's violent. And so, mm-hmm. and this is when he was in high school. And I, Many I was, of them are. Yeah, and, and they would sneak up and you basically basically slit somebody's throat and, you know, I've seen it because I used to play Tomb Raider. Yeah. However, <laughs> the company that makes Assassin's Creed, um, Ubisoft, um, when they were building these games, they were building them in these arenas, if you will, that were just amazing. Like they were building them in, you know, revolutionary time mm-hmm. in the United States. They were building them in um, places in Europe. Graphic and, and eye-catching. Graphic, eye-catching, and historically accurate. Mm-hmm. And they did another one in Egypt, in ancient Egypt, that was historically accurate, but it still was violent. Well, somebody asked them, I guess, and kind of sparked an idea with them, why don't you 
make this for schools, but just remove the violence. Violence. And they have. And I had oh, no Oh, it's idea. like taking a virtual tr- field trip. Exactly. And so I, I didn't even know this existed because it's one thing to have somebody who creates games specifically for a school, but they're not going to be your best game makers, right? Like, I mean, these your best game makers are going to be making games for money. That's right. And these guys make games for money. Well, now they've easily just kind of removed the violence and the fighting from the game. And you can now explore ancient Egypt. That is awesome. You've got to give me the link to I, that. I will definitely post it because I had no idea this was a thing and it looks incredible. And there's even like a little video in the link of how they did it. And they, they even added different nuances to it. And I think they actually have added even quizzes after you kind of Oh, that would be great for social studies. We have new social studies standards in our state. Exactly. So you can do, it says there's seven tours of famous cities, uh, nine tours of daily life during that time period. You can learn about historic battles and war, politics and philosophy, um, and then art, religion, and myths. Oh, my teachers are going to flip. I can't wait to share it. So, I mean, I haven't actually tried it myself. Originally, when it came out, I think they were asking for a license of $20 a game. They've since dropped it to 10 and I just didn't know, like, if teachers even know this exists. I can't say I've seen, like, I don't tweeting, think they know. tweeting about it or anything. And um, they kind of break this this article that I wrote. And this is from a guy who is a he, – he appears to be, like, a geography – a young geography doctoral student. And he's mm-hmm. traveling the world now. And he just wrote this article on Medium. Do you know what Medium is? Yes. It's like, you know, people are just kind of, like, their own bloggers and everything's kind of going on there. And he wrote this article and he breaks down, like, there's different types of gamers. And he says some people are the achievers. Like, they're going in just to get the achievements that you can win throughout a game. Some people are explorers. They just like the fact that you can just roam around and do whatever you want. And then some people are socializers. They like to interact with, like, the AI characters yes. and stu- and so forth. And um, anyways, it's a really cool breakdown of, of the type of people that you may have in your classroom. And he's actually pushing, like he's saying, like, you've got to let your students give this a go, especially like during that free time, you know, you've sometimes. got to tag me when you tweet this. Yeah. So um, it, it's really cool. Definitely check it out. And again, it's Ubisoft. Um, I think I'm saying that right. You think I would know since I'm a self-proclaimed gamer, but um, it's basically Assassin's Creed without the assassinations. Sounds good. Are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Bring it on. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to explain how sustained silent reading can keep students curious and engaged. Steve Gardner taught English and journalism for 38 years, and he was also named Montana Teacher of the Year in 2008. And he is the author of Building Student Literacy Through Sustained Silent Reading. Steve, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thanks for having me here. I'm going to enjoy this. It's great to have you here. And and so our listeners um, who may not be familiar with SSR or sustained silent reading, uh, I want you to help me kind of set the stage here. How is this different than what my teachers used to do to me, where they would say, all right, just pull out a book and read quietly? Well, uh, in in some sense, uh, that's what it is. Uh, There's a lot of encouragement that goes along with it. And um, uh, the idea, uh, I guess, behind SSR is student choice. You know, we give kids so many, um, you know, short stories, poems, novels that they have to read in class, and then they're tested over those. And all of that's good. It's it's all part of the curriculum, and I, I certainly don't have any problem with that. But I just believe there was something else. There should be something else there where there was some freedom on the part of the student to make some selections, uh, to learn how to be what I called a good adult reader. And 
in order to do that, in order to become the good adult reader, they have to be treated like adults. They need to be able to pick a book. Uh, they need to be able to look at the book and say, this one's not working for me. I'm going to, I'm going to stop and without any penalty. And so I worked, I was able to work those things into my program for the SSR and found that, uh, I was having tremendous success with it. Uh, it was changing students' attitudes toward reading. And I, I, so I came to think of that as my ultimate goal with this program. You've got the core curriculum stuff that you're working on, but with the SSR, it's trying to teach enjoyment. It's trying to make students believe that, hey, I'm a reader. Uh, I can do this. I can sit here. I can choose a book of my own. Uh, I can read it, uh, and then I can respond to it if I want to. Uh, and uh, that learning those skills, I think, are very, very important. How important is it to have the sustained part of it? I mean, to, to read every day. Uh, I think that the sustained is is really, really critical in, in what I was trying to do with this program in my classes. Uh, for example, um, sometimes I would, I would talk with teachers about this and they would say, hey, I think I want to do this. But I think, uh, uh, you know, I tried it and, and here's what I did. Instead of 10 or 15 minutes a day, I just decided to give them all, all class period on Friday to read. And, you know, uh, 10 minutes a day, five days, that's 50 minutes. That's a class period. And we just did it on Friday. And it's not working for me. Well, of, of course, it's not working. Uh, it wasn't sustained. It was it would this would be the same thing as if, um, for example, I used to coach the cross country team. And if instead of running uh, two miles a day or three miles a day, we just saved it up and ran 10 or 15 on Friday. It, it, they don't get in shape then they're, and they're going to injure themselves. Uh, readers aren't going to injure themselves, but they're not going to get, mm -hmm. they're not going to train their reading muscles. They're not going to develop the habits that I really want them to develop. So in an SSR, it's not, it's not math. Five times 10 is not 50. They, they don't, they don't equal. Uh, it's got to be every single day. And uh, what that also does is something that I didn't realize at the beginning, but came to understand as very important is if the student brings the book every day to class, they get used to carrying that book around, becomes part of them. And then they start looking at what the books that other kids are carrying around. And, and it just kind of has this, um, it, it, it spreads itself around. They start, uh, well, hey, maybe I'll read that book next. And then they, they, they carry on their own spontaneous book talks. And I think that that's really important. Uh, that also found that if they are carrying the book with them, uh, it has a chance of going home in the evening and being read, you know, prior to bedtime or something like that. All of those are important parts of SSR. Well, and that's going to lead me to another question I have, which is how do you get the, the skeptical student to buy into this program? Yeah. Uh, so say you have uh, 25 students in a class. And, and I'm speaking this because my, my background is high school. Uh, but I do know that SSR uh, works at other levels as well. But say in one of my high school classrooms, uh, I had 25 students and I would have them get books on the first day and say, okay, the, the program starts tomorrow. Now bring your book. And, and of course, uh, you know, especially in the beginning, uh, kids forget or they just haven't got one yet. And so I always had some extra books and they could read in those. But um, 
here's what I found in terms of getting that reluctant reader to go. Most of the kids are excited. This is for many of them. This might be the first time in in their high school career, or maybe in their whole schooling, where a teacher's given them the choice to do this. And so they they pick this book that they want to read, and maybe it's something they wanted to read for a long time and never had a chance, but now they do. And so most of the kids, um, when I would say, "Let's begin, um, get out your books, and let's start reading right now." Uh, they would just go ahead and do it. And so say if you had 20 kids that just started reading right away, the other five that are kind of hesitating, you know, a couple of them will look around and say, it's it's kind of like, but but dad, everybody's going to the dance uh, mm-hmm. Friday night. Uh, and they look around the room and say, well, everybody's reading. I, I guess I will too. And they, they may be reluctant, but they start in and and eventually get going. Usually within just a few days, I would have the entire room reading. It was pretty rare to go beyond the first week and not have everybody in the room reading. Occasionally it happened. Sometimes there was uh, some pretty tough holdouts. Um, but in most cases, they came around just fine and ended up enjoying the program. Did Did you ever have a student come back to you and say, you know, this changed the way I read, I consume information? I figured up at one time, well, when I wrote the book, and that was, um, you know, I still had several years left in my career, but uh, I think I wrote the book after 27 years of teaching, and I figured up that I had had about 3,000 kids come through my classroom, and that they had read about 40,000 books. And, um, I, I, you know, you... You, you want kids to come back to you at some point and say, hey, what you did helped me out. Well, they did. Lots of them. Lots and lots. Lots of kids really? came back from, you know, from, you know, maybe I had them in sophomore English and they'd come back as a senior and say, wow, you know, I wish I had you in class because my, my senior English teacher uh, doesn't give me SSR time. That was one thing that I heard. But the one that the ones that really impressed me were the ones that bothered to come back, you know, say the week before Thanksgiving or the week before Christmas, they came back from college and they had been, uh, maybe they had been out of my classroom for a couple of years or something even. And they'd come back and they'd say, you know, Hey, I'm in an engineering program, had never guessed how much I was going to have to read in that program. And I found myself thinking so many times about the time that you gave me, in your classroom to read. And I learned that I was a reader and that I could handle this material. It's made the whole difference to me. I I had many, many students come back with that kind of a story. That's really powerful. Um, You know, we we live in a time now where, uh, you know, students, kids, that so much is competing with our time. And and also we can consume a lot of reading through our phones. Sometimes I'll I'll find even myself, like I'll have some books I want to read or some National Geographic magazines next to my bedside. And I can't help but just read, you know, news articles and different junk on my phone. What would you say to a teacher that or a student that's making that argument? Well, they're reading if they're looking at their phone. I mean, when you think of SSR, you don't mean in the digital world, right? Well, I, I had to adjust. You know, uh, I mean, obviously, I began teaching in the late seventies, and the digital world uh, wasn't there, so everybody just brought in a book. And then I had to make a couple of adjustments along the way. Uh, one of the first ones related to this was not digital, but 
it was when graphic novels came in, say, I think that was like in the 90s. And mm -hmm. it looked like comic books, you know, and I thought, that's not really where I want this kid to go. And so I went down and talked to the librarian and found out, no, they're actually, the characterization is pretty good. The plots are usually uh, pretty strong. And uh, so I adjusted to that, told them they could bring in graphic novels. Usually it was one or two kids, didn't change the classroom at all. And if that was what the kid needed, uh, that worked then. Then the digital thing came in. And at first it was, you know, a kid would get a Kindle for Christmas. Well, can I bring my Kindle in? Yeah, that seems like fair game. Right? Yeah, and and I thought, sure, you know, that's that's fine. And in fact, at one point, I even went and uh, you know uh, convinced the principal that I needed some money to buy a Kindle and put it in my classroom so kids could use it. You know, if this is where the world is going, uh, I ought to be giving them some experience in that area. And so I had the Kindle in, and they could use it. And and uh, you know, they they didn't they they more often preferred their their regular book than coming in and, and, and using my Kindle, but uh, it was there if they wanted it. And that worked for a while. And then, you know, there were e-readers and other, other versions of that that came out. And then eventually they started coming in and saying, can I read on my cell phone? And that was a little harder for me because so much easier to get off task while you're on your cell phone, start texting a friend or, or uh, you know, playing a game or something like that. But I did find that the kids who came in with a cell phone and said, can I read on it? Uh, they, uh, you know, I, I would check on them, you know, uh, not every day, but I check on them often enough that I knew they were staying on task and it did work. And I, my comment to them now, my eyes were much older than theirs. How do you read a book on a cell phone? I couldn't do it. Uh, but they seemed uh, for the for the handful that did that, it seemed to work really well for them. But again, most kids just preferred bringing the book in. And so it was, it was clearly the majority all the way through my career that we're reading from uh, a, a regular print version book. You taught English, um, but would you recommend to other teachers out there who maybe aren't in English, maybe science class, do the same thing? Or do you kind of envision this is really mainly for an English class? It seems to work uh, more closely with English curriculums for obvious reasons, but I certainly had people that um, either read my book or attended one of my workshops or something like that and gave it a try in other areas. Uh, I had a science teacher who was a good friend of mine, and he just decided, uh, you know, I'm going to use this. And he put uh, some minor restrictions on the program had to be some something to deal with science. Kids loved it. It worked really well for him, and he used it for years. Uh, and I would I would hear kids. Uh, they would have maybe they would have both of us um, in a semester, and uh, they'd come in and read in my class in English and and be reading you know one book and then uh, go into his science class and be reading another book in there and and do just fine with it. When did you have the epiphany, for lack of a better term, that this is something that you need to do in your class? About two weeks uh, after I started teaching. Uh, I My first teaching job, uh, I was given five sections of a class called Basic Communications. Uh, it was exactly what it sounds like. Uh, the students that were in there had failed all of our other English classes. Um, I was their last chance. I was their last chance to get an English credit and their last chance to earn the credits they needed to graduate. Um, 
I had no students that were enthused about English, um, very few students that were enthused about being in school at all. So it was a very difficult situation. And instead of giving them books, uh, what the school had done was bought, um, uh, you, would, you would just call them packets. Uh, they would read a story, and then there were pages that they would fill out with questions about the story, not really stimulating uh, curriculum material. And they were struggling with it, and I was struggling with it. And I just mentioned this to another teacher, and she said, hey, have you ever thought about using sustained silent reading? And I said, you know, that's something I've never even heard of. I don't know. She gave me a quick rundown on it, and I thought, um, okay. Um, at this point, I've got to do something. I've got to try something. And so this is, I had five classes of these very reluctant students. And I came in and I talked to them about this and I said, you know, let's try this. And they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do anything. And, but I, I had them get a book and we went down to the school library and got a book for each one of them. And we came back and they read a little bit and it was actually kind of quiet for a few minutes. And I thought, okay, bring your books back tomorrow. We'll do this again. And we did it again. And it wasn't that long. I mean, within several days, so a week at the most, uh, I was getting an occasional complaint when I asked them to put down their books and, and go to their packets. And I thought, wow, I'm getting somewhere. This, this has got me kind of excited about this. And um, it before, you know, by, by the end of a month, it was just an integral part of the program. I realized this is exactly what they need, and it's helping them. It's helping them as readers, but it's also helping them to realize that maybe school's not such a bad place. And I had really good success with them. And so that convinced me that I needed, uh, I needed to learn more about this program and uh, keep it going. So I tried to find you know, some research on SSR and some some help on SSR and found several sources that were that were good and just kept working at it, trying to improve the program. How am I going to hold them accountable for what they do? How am I going to deal with this in terms of grading and things like that? And was able to solve all of those problems. And by the end of the year, was just convinced that this was what I was going to do. Uh, then fortunately, the next year, I ended up with only two sections of those and then uh, other sections of classes of what you would call more regular English and thought, let's try it there. And it was even more successful. And that was it. It stayed with me for 38 years. I, I did it every single year that I taught. Uh, and uh, to this day, I believe it was the most important thing I did with my students. Wow. Well, that's that's quite the powerful statement. You know, am I crazy to think that I should start this myself, like as an adult, like I don't need to have a teacher tell me to do it, like just pick up a magazine or a book and, and read for 15 minutes a day? Uh, I think it would make a difference in your life, that's for sure. And uh, you mentioned that you uh, have children of your own. Um, boy, I, I know more than one parent who started SSR programs at home. And I have three daughters. Uh, they're all very good readers. Uh, they grew up in a household where they had two parents that were teachers that were reading all the time. And I guess this brings up a point here. Uh, there is, uh, you know, we call it modeling in education where the teacher does the, act, uh, the activity or the, uh, the, act, the, the action that, that they want to receive from the students, the, mm -hmm. the, showing, the showing rather than telling. 
And it's, it's absolutely critical with reading. So many of the students that I was working with, especially in those early years, uh, I would do surveys and have you, have you ever seen your parents uh, sit down and read? Most of them, no. Uh, have you have you ever seen your parents read a book? Probably not. Have you ever seen your parents read a newspaper? Maybe. Uh, but the, it, there was a huge correlation with the people, with the students who had seen a parent sit and read and their own interest in reading. Uh, the, wow. the correlation was very, very high. That same correlation holds in the classroom. When I did SSR with my students, I read with them every period of the day. I, 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 of course, I enjoyed that. It was, it, was a, it was a treat for me. But they had to see me read. They had to see me react to a book. Hey, you guys, I got to tell you about this book that I'm reading today. That's right. powerful. When they, hear the, when they hear an adult talk that way about a, a book, they, they start wanting to, can I, tell, can I tell the class about my book today? You bet. Let's take one minute and you take one minute and tell us about that book. And they would and they'd be proud of it. And so teachers, if you're going to have an SSR program in your classroom, the teacher has to participate. It's not a time to grade papers. It's not a time to check email. Uh, it's not a time to uh, sit and stare off into space. Teacher has to be actively working on the SSR program with the students and participating uh, in all forms. Then it's going to be successful. I love it. Uh, Steve Gardner, you are, um, we were talking before the show, uh, we started recording, you're retired now, and you're actually um, a journalist. Um, so so you're not in the teaching field really anymore. But do you still have an opportunity to reach out to teachers? Or if somebody wants to keep up with you, is there a place they can go to kind of see what you're up to? Uh, well, sure. You know, I, I've published a number of things, the book and several articles about, uh, about it. Um, I have a, a, a website Call it's uh, quietwaterpublishing.com, and there's quite a bit of information there about uh, the SSR work that I've done, um, six traits writing work that I've done, as well as um, other articles that I've published, uh, say, on outdoor topics and um, uh, adventure travel and things like that. So a variety of things available there. Good stuff. I'll be sure to link... uh that website to our show notes if anybody wants to track that down. Uh, Steve, are you ready for our pop quiz? I'll give it a try. All right. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Uh, that, uh, <laughs> that's a, a hard one, but having been an English teacher for 38 years, it would be hard to pick something else. Uh, I just think that the skills of reading and writing and speaking are so critical. Uh, they just carry over into about every other area of our life. Now, I understand that, uh, you know, with science and technology, where our society is going, those are absolutely critical too. But if you're going to make me pick one, I have to go with where I spent my life. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? I I think maybe uh, we we have all the subjects that are there. And and maybe this is just a... um, a reflection of the time where we are, uh, you know, we hear, uh, you know, uh, negative comments so much uh, in the news and things and, and maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're, we, we, so much of what we hear uh, is frightening, uh, you know, mass shootings and, and things like that. Um, maybe, 
we could create, uh, you know, some classes in, in uh, just, you know, being a good human being and being a, uh, a good friend to people and, and, and helping people get along. Yeah, empathy maybe, right? Yes, exactly. What does every child deserve? Well, I think one of the um, one of the things maybe I, I guess it's kind of related. I think that every child needs an adult, an adult that it might be the parent, it might be a teacher, it might be a coach, uh, it might be the next door neighbor, it might be grandpa and grandma. Uh, I don't think it matters what the relationship is, just as long as there is a caring adult there to guide that student when they need it and to turn them loose when they're ready to be turned loose. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? One of the things I was finding towards the end of my teaching career was um, the speed with which things were coming uh, at me as a teacher. Uh, every year it was a, uh, you know, a new program and a new piece of technology that I would have to learn. Uh, and it just seemed like it, uh, it was just constant um, change and motion. And that's not all bad. But it was hard to keep up with. And, and uh, maybe it was just that I was towards the end of my career. Uh, maybe some of the younger teachers are more adept at making those changes and things. But um, I found that the speed of change and the speed that new things were coming at me, uh, I found that uh, difficult. What's the best gift to give an educator? I, I don't know very many uh, educators that wouldn't be excited getting uh, books or uh, uh, a gift certificate to a bookstore. That seems to be, uh, I think, uh, a pretty popular thing. Uh, and and, and I, could, I guess if you could step back in a, in a larger sense, um, maybe a, a, a gift of uh, extra time to get things done. Which teacher changed your life? I had... Uh, I'll, I'll take two because they're really closely related. In high school, I had a teacher who uh, was very progressive and, in fact, gave me the chance to read a book that I wanted to read, uh, my whole class, but uh, it, was a, it was really a, a, a small version of SSR, uh, first time that I had ever seen that. And uh, he, was, uh, he was very encouraging, uh, and that started me. But I didn't really care for English in high school. Uh, it took another person in when I was in college, a professor in, in college, uh, to make me realize that that was where uh, my direction was going. And so um, that professor in college um, really helped me, gave me so much encouragement, um, was uh, just a, a super mentor and became uh, literally a lifelong friend. And last question, pen or pencil? I guess I write with pen uh, most of the time uh, if, if it's on paper. Uh, but I've, uh, between uh, my work as a teacher and now my current work uh, as a journalist, um, it's more on, the, more on the keyboard. Steve Gardner, again, we appreciate you uh, coming on the show to talk about sustained silent reading and uh, best of luck to you with your uh, new ventures uh, in the world of journalism. Well, I'm enjoying them and thank you very much for having me on. That 
That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.